We are continuing our series looking at some prayers of Paul. Uh, we've, uh, I wasn't here for the last two weeks. Dan preached in the Psalms last week, but then the week before that, Todd was in Philippians chapter 1, and I was in Ephesians chapter 3 the week before that. And we're learning about how to pray from prayers that are in Scripture that Paul prayed. What, how can this instruct us? Because I, I probably, I really don't talk to people who, who say, my prayer life is just what I want it to be. You know, it's exactly how I want my prayer life to look like, and so I'm all good there. We, we all, uh, as somebody who recognizes the, the value and the importance of prayer, uh, I'm always looking to be challenged and moved and grow in my prayer life. And so I hope that's what happens uh, as we learn from Paul's prayer here in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, and as we do that, we're, we start by thinking about the context here that is painting this picture, all of Ephesians really, painting this amazing picture of a God who is in control. And that's who we're talking to. And who we're talking to and how we think about them deeply affects our prayers. So the conversations that we have with one another are affected by the person that we're talking to, and particularly if we're asking for something. I've spent uh, some time on email this week uh, in communication with an airline's uh, customer service uh, rep, um, because uh, many of you know Patton, our, our church supported Patton in Argentina for the summer, and Steph and I enjo- uh, joined him for, our last, for his last week there, uh, and we got back on Wednesday. And uh, on the way down, we were supposed to have a, about a two-hour layover in Miami, and we ended up with a, a two-night layover in Miami. Uh, so delayed by 37 hours or so. I've never had a delay that long. Uh, it was a bummer, right? And there were a number of things I think that the airline could have done differently. Uh, and so I'm in this conversation, right? And I've kind of gotten to the point where I realized this person's not actually going to really do anything. Uh, and so can, can I speak to a supervisor? Or I guess can I email with a supervisor? That's all that you get, right? Because you, you realize that you're talking to somebody that actually can't uh, help you at all. Now, to be clear, every illustration breaks down at some point, and uh, thinking of God as customer service is not all that helpful. <laughs> but the principle of, of recognizing uh, that you're talking to somebody who can actually uh, help, who can actually deliver on the things that you're bringing to him, does have dramatic impact on how we pray, or even if we pray, really. And that's what we see in the beginning here. So the sovereignty of God, the, the, the first few verses here of Ephesians are all about the sovereignty of God in, in salvation. And this is where we find uh, the word predestination twice uh, here. We, we find that he chooses us. And this is not a sermon about predestination, but there is a clear picture here of God doing the work, even before the foundation of the world, that he is in control and that, that we, in all of our brokenness, are not able to save ourselves. There's this picture of God bringing about this powerful work in our lives. We see that continues into the next chapter, in chapter 2, when we are described as dead in our trespasses and sins. And when you're dead, you, you can't do anything. That's the nature of death, right? You don't bring anything to the table. And so we're spiritually dead. God makes us alive. This is the picture of the gospel. We confess our sin earlier. We, we are broken. We are prone to wander to rebel against our God, the one who created us, and yet he, in his love and sovereignty, has chosen to work. That is the picture that we have of the grace of God. 
And so it's in the midst of that picture that Paul is driven to prayer, that he is driven, encouraged to pray. My three points this morning are that the sovereignty of God encourages us to pray, directs our prayers, and then empowers our prayers. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll talk about prayer. Lord, I do ask that you and your sovereignty and your glory and your power would meet us here and shape us and change us and make us more like Jesus. Instruct our hearts and change our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, we're encouraged to pray by the sovereignty of God. Verse 15, for this reason, and he's picking up on those verses that came before, the sovereignty of God at work in the lives of his people. And he is talking to his people. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He's talking to the church. He's talking to to people who believe in Jesus Christ. And that they allow that then to affect their lives by, by demonstrating a love for all the saints. That he, to the point that he's even heard about it, right? So this is, he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who trust and believe in Jesus. And, uh, and, and he's, he, but he's wanting more for them. He, he's recognizing that this is a, a beautiful and good thing. That I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. But he's going to pray even more for them. And so... As we gather as the people of God, this is the thing that unites us, that we believe in the Lord Jesus. We even confess weekly the Apostles' Creed, this thing that joins churches together around the world and throughout history that, that says this is what we believe. And, and, then, and then we talk regularly about how that might affect our lives. And so this is something that we would even pray for each other, right? We're, we're learning how we can pray for each other. Or even how we can pray for those that, if you're here and don't yet trust in Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus, that the prayer is that that you would. That's what we desire for you. But this is who Paul is talking to and praying for. And and this reason, for this reason, because God's sovereignty has worked in their lives, then there is this recognition that God is the one who has done it. And he prays, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. To give thanks, to start there is to, to, again, to recognize that God's the one that is in control. And so I was thinking about that this week as last Sunday, Sunday night, we had this really just beautiful opportunity to worship at La Mission. And it was in a building that I, I, I should have found out exactly how many years ago my parents were leaders on a mission trip from our church in Memphis to this church in this building, La Mission, uh, in Buenos Aires. And there uh, are a number of just amazing stories of connection from that trip. But one of them is that, um, that Kyle Zimmerman was on the trip, and he met his uh, now wife, Claudia, who were there and had been missionaries there for a really long time. And they were there doing ministry in that, in that church. And Marcelo Robles is an Argentine pastor who is, I have heard about for decades, as he's been supported by the church that I grew up in, and my parents have been there, and he'd been to Memphis, but I had never connected with him, and got to meet with him and be with him. And in the middle of the service, which was a joint service of what is now four congregations around Buenos Aires, uh, so we're in this place that my parents had been and served and helped build, Kyle had been building cabinets, and I don't know what all they did, right, but we're in that space And there are now four congregations worshiping there. 
And Marcel, I don't speak any Spanish. Patton was a great interpreter for us on our trip. But uh, Marcel switched to English long enough to let me know that I was going to help him serve the Lord's Supper. And, and so uh, whole service uh, in Spanish, but he invites me up uh, to serve the Lord's Supper uh, and translates uh, for me. And uh, it was this beautiful picture of what God had done and, and, and the privilege to be a part of that and be connected to it in these just uh, really beautiful ways. And, and as, as I think about that, the, the response is to give thanks to God. I, I, we, we had the opportunity to meet some of the folks in the congregation. Again, uh, not a lot because no Spanish. But, um, but I didn't think to say thank you for, for being a Christian and a part of this church. And some level of thanks might be appropriate for people in the church. But the, the first response is naturally, oh, thanks be to God for the work that he has done at La Mission and now in these other churches around Buenos Aires. Thanks be to God for the work that he has done. And, and the same is true for us, recognizing the grace of God in our lives all throughout Ephesians and his sovereignty. When, when I talk to any one of you, if, if you are growing in the Lord, I don't say, Matt, thanks for being such a good Christian and following. No, I say, thanks be to God for the work that he has done in your life. That is our natural response because it is a recognition of who God is working in our lives. We, we start by recognizing that it is him and it is driven to thanks, which is part of prayer. And so we see that he is driven to that kind of prayer and to the point where he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you. It's continual. He picks up on that idea, this idea of ceaseless prayer in, in chapter six, verse 18 as he's talking about what, he, what, is, what is described as um, the armor of God. And he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And then goes on to ask them to pray for him. It, it's praying at all times, praying with supplication, like this continual idea of prayer. There's this picture here of being encouraged by the, grace of God, by his sovereignty and his control, to pray at all times, to pray without ceasing. And this is where we, we hear these truths and we recognize, I'm not sure that that would uh, typify my, my own prayer life. This, this invitation to pray without ceasing, to pray at, at all times, and to pray for the church, for, for others, to, to pray for one another. I mean, look to your right and to your left and in front of you and behind you and to think about praying for the people that surround you. This is what Paul is driven to pray for. We're going to get there in a moment what he directs our prayers toward, how it is that we pray, what we're praying for. But there is this drive because of the grace of God, this drive to pray. And, and there's a challenge there for me, for my own life, to think what does it look like? What does my prayer life look like? And there is some very practical ways that we can think about it. What would be one step that I could take to, to pray more, to, to learn more about prayer? What, what's just one thing that I might do? And, 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 you know, I would argue that these kinds of prayers, they do take time, right? So, you know, it, it might be that you want to move toward even praying 30 minutes, an hour, and then we hear of uh, giants of the faith that, that prayed in this way. That, that's not a bad thing to pursue. I'm not encouraging you to start there, right? Is there a five-minute period in your day where you might pick up the word and pray the word? 
to, to pray for those that are sitting around you now, for those in your family, those in your community group, to, to pray some of these things that we're going we're to learn in a moment about even some of the ways in which we can pray. What, what would it look like to, to prioritize praying with people, whether it be in your community group, oftentimes, and this is true as a leader of a community group, it's sometimes just easier to just kind of catch up, right, and tell stories about how things are going, but what would it look like to say, you know what, we, we should value praying together. What, what would it look like to say, I'm going to come a little bit early to church and pray with the people of God together for the people of God? We're doing that at least uh, through August, 940s on Sundays, just coming a little bit early. Would that be something even worth considering, right? Like, what are steps that we would take to increase in our prayers, to, to move toward praying without ceasing. If we sit in the sovereignty of God, we would be encouraged in this way. And then we find this prayer, as he is encouraging this, he, he actually then prays. He shows us what he prays for. And so here, the sovereignty of God is directing our prayers. What does he pray for? And I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he goes on to say that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. There's, this is all one long sentence, so it's like, okay, wait, wait that, there was, that, was a big, that was a big idea, that was a big idea. What's he praying for here? He's ultimately moving toward that God, and he's describing him in his glory. He's, he's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, he is the God of Jesus Christ and the father of glory, that he would give this spirit of wisdom. He's the one in control. He's the one who's able to make it happen that he would give them a spirit that leads toward wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And this is essentially he's praying that we would know him, that we would know the Lord. That's central to this prayer. He's praying that the Ephesian church would know the Lord. And it's going to explain even more of what that means in a second. But there is this picture here of this invitation to know the Lord. And, it, and this is to know the adopted father, that this, the, the, him choosing us, just in the verses that were, uh, that come before this passage that weren't read, it's chosen to be adopted as his son. So this is the adopted father that he, we're invited to know, to be invited into this relationship. And it is a spiritual work. I pray that, you, uh, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. To give you the spirit, to give you this this mysterious spiritual work, that the Spirit would work, that the Holy Spirit would work in us to, to reveal what is true to us. This is consistent with 2 Corinthians 2, verses 13 and 14, recognizing that here again, the work of God, spiritual work. He tells us, Paul also in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The, the, the context here is that the Spirit has to work for us to understand spiritual truths. We're all a natural person until we're moved from death to life, Ephesians 2. So the Spirit has to work, but then that's the thing that we pray for, that we look for, that we hope for, that we pray for one another for this spiritual work to happen. That we might know the Lord. That we might have this 
intimate relationship with him, he describes some of what that will look like, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And you could, we, we could do sermon series on the hope to which he has called us. What does that mean? It's the, the salvation that he calls us to. It's, it's everlasting life. It's relationship with him in the family and, and the inheritance that he's going to mention in, in a moment, that, that he's going to fix what is broken in this world, that he's going to reconcile us to him, to one another. He's going to, he's going to re- reconcile the whole world, in fact. This is the hope to which he's called us. And we don't always experience this hope. I mean, this is something that we need to pray for. Even for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus and uh, have a love for all the saints, those who are part of the church and following Jesus, there, there is a need for more of this. We don't always have this hope. You, you pull out your phone and you pull up a news app and you scroll through and it's called doom scrolling for a reason, right? It brings anxiety. It does not bring hope. There are all kinds of things that cause us to be anxious. and not. And so we pray for hope. And there is this, this picture and this promise that that is actually available. Even hope in prayer. So apply it specifically to this. Sometimes we don't even have hope that he's going to answer our prayers. We don't think that prayer is, is effective. And yet here is this, this just one of many places where we see prayer that we're invited into. And that there is this trust and this assumption that it actually is effective. C.S. Lewis has this this great quote because clearly we live in a cynical, cynical culture and we are all affected by that cynicism. I have to fight against it all the time. Uh, And so prayer would be one of those places that we're cynical about whether it works or not, whether it's efficacious. This is what Lewis says in one of his letters. He says, the efficacy of prayer is at any rate no more a problem than the efficacy of all human acts. I.e., if you say, it's useless to pray because providence already knows what is best and will certainly do it, then why is it not equally useless and for the same reason to try to alter the course of events in any way, whatever? Now, let me explain that a little bit. Um, that he's saying that, uh, that all that we do, that all the actions that we take, including prayer, which the, the word of God tells us is effective, is true and real and matters. It's just one of many things that we do in this world, acting and, uh, and doing things to affect our lives, right? And sometimes we see the cause and effect. But he's saying that all the actions that we take in this world, they, they have that same question. Sometimes we see the cause and effect and sometimes we don't. What we find, though, is the word of God that tells us that this is true and real and it matters. And that there is hope available. And so we pray for that hope. And we pray with hope. And sometimes we're praying that we would have hope, that we would have hope in prayer, right? Like, we, we find ourselves in those places of doubt. And that, that's totally understandable. And so we pray. We pray for hope to which he has called us. Then, that we would also know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And each one of these three things that he prays for, again, we could spend a lot of time on, and, and we're not. But this is this family inheritance here in verse 18. This, that we would know what it means to be a part of the people of God. And, and if we look at John and the way that he talks about the people of God, he even describes them as actually the inheritance. That we ourselves are the inheritance. 
as well as being promised this inheritance of being his children, of being beloved by him in such a way that he is going to lavish upon us all the goodness that is on offer when he makes all things right, but that we would even experience some of that now, some of the blessings being a part of the people of God, having the hope of salvation, having his power that is promised to us, which is the third thing that he prays for in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The immeasurable greatness of his power, and that power is toward us who believe. And there are times, again, one of the things that we pray for is that we would know that power, that we would experience it, because oftentimes we don't. We, we are saddled with doubt and with anxiety. And there is this mystery that we're invited into to experience that hope, to experience the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, to experience and know the power, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And so we're invited to pray for those things. Sometimes we think, yeah, I doubt all those things, and we do that without even praying for them. I, I, I think about this, that, uh, well, I prayed one time for that thing, or I, I prayed here and there, but people that I know who are saints who have walked with the Lord for years and, and been faithful prayers for years, they, they believe these things. Partly, they pray because they believe them, but partly they're shaped by their praying because God answers them that they might actually know the hope and the inheritance and the power that is available to them. And so we're invited into that, this grace that he gives us. And, and we're encouraged to, to see what is on offer here, not, not to see it as, you better do this, God's going to love you. No, no. They're experiencing belief in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. They're experiencing him, but they're invited to experience him more, to, to move deeper into their knowledge of him. And so there is a very practical implication of what it might look like to pray for other people. I, I think it's helpful to note what he's not praying for. As we think about these things that he is praying for, we have to stop and note that this is consistent across the board with Paul, who in the early church, the Christians are experiencing terrible things, all kinds of persecution, all kinds of terrible political leaders, all kinds of horrible circumstances. And, and I think it is right to pray for circumstances. And yet where Paul starts is not there. Paul, in fact, at least in Scripture, never prays for those circumstances. He prays for their faith and their hope and their love and the power that they would experience and their knowledge of God in the midst of those circumstances. This is where he starts. And that is a challenge to us. Would we pray this for one another? I think about, uh, you know, Patton, who was in Argentina. I think about Mark, who is in, uh, still in Egypt, preaching uh, the word of God to this Egyptian church uh, for this summer. And we've been a part of sending him and how we pray for him. It is right and good to pray for his logistics and for some relationships and fun experiences and those kind of things. But what if we were to begin by praying that, that Mark would know Jesus more and that he would proclaim that good news to that Egyptian church and that they would know him more and that they would, that Mark and that church would know 
more the hope to which they are called. That they would know the glorious riches of the inheritance in the saints. <coughs> Excuse me. That they would know the power of God toward them. What if we began there? Praying those things for one another. As we pray for Adrian and the loss of his mom. That we would pray for comfort and that would be consistent with 2 Corinthians 1. But then we would also pray that in the midst of this he would know the hope and riches and power of God in the midst of it. When we pray those, when we start in those places, to, to pick up our, our Bibles and read these verses and pray them for one another. This would be wisdom to be shaped in this way. To know that the God who works, who offers this power, empowers those prayers. That he is able to answer those things. That's the, the third point. Not only that we're encouraged to pray that we're directed in our prayers, that we do so with this hope because there is a power behind them. So the power that we want to know more comes according to the working of his might. And then he goes on in verse 20 through 23 to describe that power and how amazing it is. All these phrases that are some big, beautiful phrases are describing the power of God. When we think about the power of God, what, what comes to mind? What, what comes to mind as we think about his great work? And one of the first things that comes to mind for me is, is creation. God creating the world from nothing. That is a picture of power. But that, that's not the power that we see here. It starts by the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. They had power over death itself. I mean, he created life, so it's no surprise. But he has power to raise Jesus from the dead. And the promise is, we know from all of Scripture, that 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 power comes for us too. That we're promised resurrection ourselves. That power is available for us and it is coming for us. Resurrection power. And then that power is played out in Jesus who he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So this place to reign and rule over all things. His sovereignty lived out, reigning and ruling over this world. Above all authority and power and dominion and rulers in this world. And we think about the things that, that worry us, the things that we're anxious about, and he has power over that. He's in a position over all of that and above every name that is named. And he goes on to say, not only in this age, but in the age to come, there is this mystery here that we can't even get our minds around. That's how powerful he is. All of this is this picture of how great he is and how great his power is that he wants us to know. That we're invited to know more and more by his working, by his sovereignty. And so we pray for it and we seek it. And, and oh, that we would do that for one another. That we would be praying these things for one another. That we would start here. Yes, we would pray for jobs and relationships and all of those things, but we would pray for those things flowing out of knowing him more in all of these ways. What are the things that cause us to doubt this, to trust in other things? He's more powerful than that. And then we see this promise. He's described him in all these ways, right? He, he's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And he's given him as the head of all things. And he's put all things under his feet. And he gave him to the, he, I read these words and I think, and he gave him to the universe to reign and rule, right? 
I mean, there's some truth to that, and that would make sense, but no. And he gave him to the church. That's us. He gave him to us, to, to the church with all of its mess, yes. Absolutely, and we recognize that the church is broken because the church is his people, and his people are broken, all of us, and it, and it can be a messy place. And some of us have been hurt by the church. And yet, even the, here's the mystery, that even in that, even in the brokenness, Jesus has been given and all of his power and authority to the church to work here. That's, that's for you and for me to experience him. That's, a, that's an amazing promise that we hold to. That, that if we believe this, it would drive us to prayer. What would it look like for us to, to really pray? And I say these things, and this is, this is true for me. What would it look like for me and my prayer life to be shaped by these things? To be praying these things for you more consistently. To pray them for our, our neighborhood. To pray them for family. What would it look like to trust in him in this way? Because the promise is that his power is for us. It is for his church and the church is us. Let's look to him and ask and trust that it's by his grace. And it's not, if we pray enough, then it'll happen. It's not like, we just got to get it together. It's looking, it's all of this prayer is trusting in his work, in his grace, in his sovereignty in our lives. Let's pray.